Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I'm chatting with Tony Ranke on the topic of smartphone use. I know you guys are cringing and it's tempting to dodge this episode given the topic, but I really want to encourage you to listen as it's such an important conversation for us as believers. Tony and I talked about everything from the challenges affiliated with smartphone use to how we can actually use them to do what God has called us to do more effectively. We also talked about how we can wisely disciple our children in regard to their use of technology, which was super helpful for me as a mom to two little people. I would venture out to say this is actually one of the most helpful conversations that I've had on the Journey Women podcast. So you'll know him a little better. Tony is an author and a nonprofit journalist in the Twin Cities area. He writes about many things, but especially the intersection of where technology and digital media meet the Christian life. He's also the host of the Ask Pastor John podcast and the senior writer at DesiringGod.org. Now, on to my conversation with Tony Ranke. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast, Tony. I am admittedly a little nervous to talk to you because I feel like you're kind of theologically astute, but you're assuring me that you have your own struggles with um, oh, smartphone use and you're just trying to flesh this out in your everyday life. And I I just admitted to you that I had your book for quite some time, but avoided reading it because 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You sounded very convicting. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I was a little nervous and I must admit, I am convicted reading it, but it's in just the most, I don't know, it's that type of conviction that you experience when you're almost like when you're reading your Bible, where the Spirit is just prompting you um, and, and kind of pricking your heart. And I'm so thankful for it. I really appreciate you writing this book. Thank you for taking the time to do that. Oh, I appreciate the uh, the commendation. That's that's really kind. I appreciate it. It's it's it is self critique. I mean, it is it is calling and the title. I mean, is clearly uh, <laughs> you know saying this is this is going to hurt a bit. Yes. Uh, it's funny. I'm getting some great emails, some stories of like uh, you know twenty somethings going home for Christmas, and you know there's a guest bedroom, and mom has strategically placed the book like on the on the pillows <laughs> for son. <laughs> I heard yeah. from a lady who was uh, reading the book in a London subway. And getting all sorts of curious, weird looks as uh, they looked at the title, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, as they're all on their phones. And this lady sitting there reading a book. (laughs) (laughs) So so this book definitely throws shade beyond its its size. But uh, 
it is for people who are willing to self-critique, and that's what Christians are. I mean, the very basis of of wisdom is to mistrust our own intuition, yes. as the Proverbs lays out. And, you know, so those are the kinds of people that I'm writing for who naturally question their own impulses and check their decision-making uh, with God's Word. And so, you know, I could have tried to hide that a little bit, uh, but I just wanted to come out and say, hey— the phone is changing us. We need to think yeah. about how and uh, why it's it's been a good change and where it's been a bad change and just deal with those things honestly. Yeah, and it's it's absolutely an important conversation for us. I mean, my contacts, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have a three- and one-year-old baby girl, and the phone is, you know, admittedly right there just all the time. And so I... Um, I needed this book myself just to kind of reconsider what I'm doing. I think one of the first things, Tony, that caused me to reconsider what I'm doing is when my one-year-old actually brought me my phone as though it was like an appendage that I was missing. Like she knew that mommy always has her phone. And just that simple action caused me to kind of question, wow, how often does she see me with my phone? And like, is this something that I want her to remember uh, me having with me at all times, you know, yeah. it yep. was super convicting. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what inspired you to actually really take on the endeavor of writing a book like this. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, I try to I write things as a nonprofit journalist uh, to get things off of my mind. I, mm. I, I wrestle with questions. Um, you know, all sorts of random questions come at me like, you know, should Christians watch horror movies? You know, mm. and what about mm. PG-13 horror movies? And uh, what about uh, missing Sunday church for kids sports? Uh, can we do that? Should we do that seasonally? What's how do we think through that? Those kinds of questions really um, I love jumping into them because they're so complex. They require a lengthy treatment. You can't just write yes. a 2000 word article, you know, on like smartphones. It takes a it takes long form. Absolutely. And so and, and what I needed personally was was uh, I needed to think through and humble myself before God uh, for my own misuse of, of mm-hmm. digital media and smartphones for 10 years. I'd, you know, since they came out with the iPhone. Yeah, I saw that. And, you know, I have a I have a similar story. A couple of summers ago, uh, my, my family, uh, we've got a 16 year old son and a 13 mm-hmm. year old daughter and 11 year old uh, son. We were out camping uh, along the North Shore, which is this beautiful area north mm. of Duluth in, in Minnesota. It's just like, it's like a foreign country. It doesn't even feel like Minnesota or the United States. It's just beautiful waterfalls everywhere, huge cliffs that go down into the, the Great Lake. Wow. And it's just a beautiful, it's, it's like giants were playing, were like spinning dice. And those dice <laughs> are like huge, massive boulders about the size of a a refrigerator made of iron ore. I mean, these things are like solid steel, you know, they're scattered all over the the lakes and the the rivers. And we found one really cool waterfall. It was about a 25 foot drop from the top down into this pool is a drop pool. And it was fairly well hidden because the state park in which it's at doesn't have any infrastructure to get to it. So there's no trails to get to it. So it's not hmm. on any official maps. And we, we heard from one of the locals, hey, you got to go check this out. So we went and we found it. It's a beautiful drop pool, which is about uh, maybe 100 feet across that you can swim in and just enjoy. And it's just a, an incredibly powerful waterfall. And after a while, my son, 16-year-old, he's, he's a daredevil. He loves to think of the most dangerous thing he can do on any family trip. And he says, you know what? I want to jump off the top of this waterfall into the plunge pool. So 25 feet 
is pretty high up. The water's dark. You can't really tell if there's mm. boulders or anything in this drop drop pool. And so we're, we're like, no way. You are not going to do this at all. You know, mom and dad both say absolutely yeah. not. So this is about 10.30 a.m. It's starting to get warmer and warmer. By about noon, it's, it's about 90 degrees. And a couple of road workers who work for the state pulled up. We heard their truck, and then we saw them walk over to the waterfall. <laughs> and each of these guys stripped down to their shorts, and they jumped from the top of the waterfall down into the pool to cool off. Wow. And they get out, and they go back on the top, and they, it's like they'd done that every day. You know, wow. it's, it's just like part of the natural routine. And so, of course, my son is watching all this. Yeah. And so he comes back to mom and dad. He says, hey, uh, I see it's safe. you got to let me do this. you got to let me do this. And I said, okay, we'll let you do this under one condition. We're going to let you jump off this 25-foot waterfall, and we are not going to record it. Hmm. We're not going to record it on mom's phone. We're not going to record it on dad's phone. We're not going to record it on your phone. But you can make the jump. And in that moment, he threw his arms up in the air, and he said, well, then what is the point? Wow. What's the point? Right? What's the point of jumping off that waterfall if you can't film it? And it dawned on me in that moment— my, all of a sudden, I, the Lord just brought this conviction on me personally. I realized that I had trained him to this point. Mm. This mm. is not something he's self-disciplined. This is me, 10 years of my iPhone at baseball games, at basketball games, mm. on family vacations. Everywhere we go, my phone is there. My son is an actor before my smartphone. I have conditioned him yeah. to think it's only worth doing if it's being recorded and spread on social media. That was a very humbling moment for me as a dad. Yeah. Now we went back and forth and we 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 negotiated and we we decided we would film his jump but he couldn't share it immediately. He would have to wait a week and he would have to give up his smartphone for the rest of the family vacation. Wow. Which was actually a good <laughs> yeah. it was a good trade. Good parenting and, move. That's how parenting works, right? You say absolutely <laughs> not and then you come yeah, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> well, so, there had to be something in you too that caused you to think that way because had you just been noticing a trend that would cause you to say, okay, actually you can do this. Did you have a hunch that he may not want to do it if he wasn't able to record it? Oh, I knew that's exactly why he wanted to do it is because then he could show his friends. It wasn't about showing off to his family. It wasn't about just experiencing the thrill in the moment. It was uh -huh. about the ticks of affirmation and the approval culture that he's been conditioned to appeal to and to take the best things that he's got in his life to put up on public display so that people can like and share it. So he's been conditioned yeah. by social media culture, but he's also been conditioned by a dad yeah. who's uh, had a had a phone camera in his face for 10 years. You oh, know? My word, so yes. that was, it was very, that was a humbling moment. And mm -hmm. that came at kind of the end of writing the book. And it, it was just landing on me. Like I could have written a book about, you know, how our teens are addicted to smartphones and they're ruining their lives and we need to fix them. But the reality is, is, is for us, it's like your child bringing you your phone. It's like, we, we need to step back and look at what our, you know, keeping our noses in our, our laptops uh, yes. for days on end. What, how has that conditioned our kids? And we have to come clean with that and we have to humbly repent for those patterns before our kids and let them see that this is not just an issue for mom and dad. This is not just an issue for teens. This is not just an issue for tweens. This is an issue that 
it's really across the spectrum, even the elderly. I mean, you look at the adoption yes. rate of smartphones among mm-hmm. the 72 plus. It's just it's astronomical. It's incredible. Yeah. It, uh, it and really so, is. you know, the, it's, it's the people that I see that are most addicted to their phones are like 50 plus, honestly. Yeah, I agree. It's like 50 plus people always trying to show me their memes that they've seen on Facebook. And they show, it's just like it's, it's a problem across the spectrum of all uh, all age demographics. But parents, I think, do need to wrestle with, the, you know, what how have we conditioned our kids and not just assume that the habits that they've picked up are somehow theirs alone to be accountable for. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, especially as a lot of our demographic of listeners are moms staying at home, there is such a temptation to turn to the phone as an escape from the present realities of just the mundane work of motherhood. And there's so many things, Tony, so many things I want to talk to you about because I love the way you laid this out in your book and I really want to encourage people to go get it and to read it despite knowing that it will probably prick your heart in lots of different ways. But I really want to tether this conversation just from the get-go back to the gospel because I think a lot of times... Um, we're fearful of this conversation because we think, man, we're going to have to like totally ditch all of the all of the smartphone technology and everything in order to walk in holiness. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. Can you just frame this conversation for us around the gospel? Like, how does the gospel free us up in our decision-making when it comes to smartphone use? Yeah, the gospel comes into play at every every level of the discussion in the book. Um, it, 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 the gospel is the thing that I keep orienting all the questions and the problems around. Mm-hmm. Because honestly— um, we have study after study showing us that too much time on our phones is pretty profound cumulative effects on our physical health um, and and not for the better. Things like inactivity and obesity and uh, those things are on the rise. Yeah. Stress, anxiety, depression, loneliness, sleeplessness, yes. all of those things are growing more common. Um, and, you know, when we can't get to sleep, we grab for our phone at 1 a.m. in bed. It just mm-hmm. makes the problem worse. And yeah. so smartphone overuse has led to all sorts. Of, I mean, you, you can look at all the studies on posture, on eye strain, headaches, hypertension, new forms of like stress-induced shallow breathing patterns. Wow. You know, when we're engaged on uh, in a debate or something or uh, there's something urgent online, like our breathing slows down. I mean, the physical consequences of our smartphone habits often go unnoticed because uh, just in the matrix of the digital world, we just simply lose a sense of our bodies and our posture, our breathing patterns, heart rate, all those things. Yeah. But I think 
behind all these consequences, we find underlying causes for why we habitually grab for our phones. And that those are the cravings, the hopes, mm-hmm. the wants, the, the hidden and the secret and often anonymous desires that control us from the inside. Those are the things that animate our thumbs and feed our habitual impulses toward our phones. And so I'm trying to get at those root issues. And so in each of the 12 ways, I'm taking a a problem that has been identified by broadly by culture, by psychologists, and I'm breaking them down into like, what is the desire behind that impulse? Mm -hmm. And so really the gospel comes into play at every single place. Yeah. Um, it, It comes into, you know, why we want distractions. It comes into place on why we ignore people around us. It comes into why we crave approval right? We just love approval. Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says, whoever loves, and then you fill in the blank, whoever loves their social media network more than me is not worthy of me. There's something exclusive about Christ. He wants our ultimate affection. He does not want to share our affection with our social media network. He wants us to be devoted to him wholeheartedly, but we crave that immediate approval. And so we go online yeah. and we want we want people to approve us. And it just gets in the way of how we relate to, to Christ. And it just goes on and on. It has implications for our literacy. It has implications for how we ignore created beauty. And we get so infatuated with produced content that's on a screen that we just lose a sense of, of the beauty of what God has created. And so, you know, honestly, when it comes to the gospel question, like it, it just throws open the door to the whole book because I think everything that we do with our smartphones has some gospel implication. And that's the book is really just me trying to tag specific biblical texts to what I see in my own digital misuse. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned Bible literacy, and I thought that was a really interesting element of the book. How does the digital age impact our Bible literacy and our ability to read and understand Scripture? Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's huge. Um, I think smartphone abuse, uh, it doesn't make us illiterate. Uh, I think it makes us illiterate. Uh, We just just grow lazy with our Mm -hmm. literacy, our powers of concentration. Um, you know, we are a people of the book. Christians are people of the book, but yeah. scripture is for most of us, probably all of us. It's the oldest book that we'll ever try to read. It's the longest book we'll ever try to read. It's the most complex book we'll ever try to read. It's got the most authors we'll ever try to, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's daunting at every level. And, but the nature of scripture just puts a premium on serious literacy on being able to, uh, carefully, slowly comprehend and read. And so I mean, it's, it's no wonder that Jesus's most common rebuke is the question, have you not read? Mm. I mean, he says that over and over, have you not read? Wow. It means yeah. have you, you have your Bible in your hand, but wh- why haven't you comprehended it? Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, this is you know, it's, it's a, for, for Jesus, what he's pointing out is a, a place of spiritual hardening. It's not just pure literacy. Uh, but we, we see that literacy is, is a supernatural gift given to us so that we can see invisible things. And we have to cultivate our literacy. We lose our literacy. We we lose the substance of the things we hope for, right? Hoping is 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 a hope put in things unseen. So we're trying to see things we can't see with our eyes. And that requires literacy. That requires concentration. That requires a seeing through the veil of this world and seeing as God sees, not as man sees. Man sees breaking news. Man sees what's on a screen, man sees just the media that surrounds us, but God wants us to see through that and to see eternal glories. And we have to have our literacy to do that. 
Yeah. And, you know, so many of us are seeking Bible literacy and we have our Bibles open in the mornings. But you know what? I'll just admit right here that I am so guilty of having my smartphone right there, right next to me. And I can almost feel that anxiety of having it so close, like tangibly. Um, What is the importance of pushing back our phones early in the morning when we're practicing the spiritual disciplines and really seeking to reorient ourselves to the gospel before we start our day in those early morning hours? Yeah, that's so key. I, I think Spurgeon said, "If if uh, Satan can disrupt your devotions, he'll he can disrupt your day." Like, oh. you know, like it's a, it's a as soon as we wake up and it's time to meet with God, we're in an immediate warfare for our affections, yeah. warfare for our attention, and physically. I think for me personally, I have to separate myself from my smartphone. Uh, if I don't me too, keep it, yes, keep it in it's a different room. A different room. It, yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna just dominate my attention. Yeah, and I mean, there's studies now that show if the if the smartphone is within your reach, some part of your brain processing power is constantly asking, "Should I tweet this? Should I share I this? Should that. I grab my phone?" I totally feel that. It's what every four four point three seconds is that what you said? That's oh, how many yeah. times we check our phones. It's or every 4.3 4. 3 minutes. minutes. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's the highest number I've found. That would be like 220 times a day. Some people would say it's more about 85 times a day. The, the numbers are different. But yeah, we have this impulsive desire to grab for our phones. And if the phone is not just physically put away, for a lot of us, it's just going to constantly have part of our brain just saying, mm-hmm. oh, should I grab it now? Should I grab it now? Ooh, this part of the Bible is a little bit boring. Should I grab my phone? You know, like it's just it's just there and we need to separate ourselves from it. That, that's true of fellowship. I mean, I know people who leave their phones in their car when they go to Sunday church. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Physical proximity, just leaving the phone out of the bedroom. Some people find that yes. more helpful. Uh, you can Put your alarm on and leave the phone in the living room. You'll still hear the alarm and get up. What a, there's a lot of little practices, but physical proximity is is a danger. Yeah, it absolutely is. Well, I think that in a way is kind of a litmus test to see where we're at in our relationship with our phone. Just thinking, hmm, do I have to have my phone when I'm doing my Bible study? Is it essential for me to post about my Bible study on Instagram like in order for it to have happened and to be legitimized by other people? But what are some other litmus tests that we can use or that you might be able to describe for us that would help us determine where our hearts are right now in regard to the use of technology? Yeah, well, a good place to start would be to ask a spouse. Oh. And to oh. ask a child. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little scary, some, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> even more scary than reading my book is going to be it giving a, an honest assessment uh, from, yeah, from those around you. Because, you know, we use the phone for an escape and it, it oftentimes gets in the way of what God has called us to do. And maybe I could talk here for just a, a, a minute because I think my call for Christians is through this book to think, and mm-hmm. ultimately it comes back to this question, what has God called you to be and to do? Mm-hmm. This is where we stand apart from the world. The world is saying, yeah, we've got all these physiological problems as a result of our smartphones. Apple, please give us limits and whatever. Great. That conversation needs to happen. But as Christians, we have to ask what responsibilities has God given you in your family, in your church, at mm-hmm. work, at school, in your community? What has God called you to do in these specific spheres? This is your highest priority is what God has called you to do. And it's only when you have some sense of clarity here that you can then safely figure out what you should be doing with your smartphone right. to begin with. Right. Um, because then you can decide what's a waste of time, what's not a waste of time. A lot, you know, lots of people want to talk to me about smartphones. And this is the, the question that it seems to come back to over and over and over again. Christians feel aimless and uh, their lives feel pointless and they live without any clear sense of God's call. 
it, when you have a vacuum there, there's going to be an addiction to distraction and addiction to digital media. That's a huge problem. And I think this mm-hmm. is going to be one of the main calls for Christian leaders in the future is to, to shepherd people to understand the call of God in their lives. And that to see the smartphone addiction is merely a symptom of yes. this greater problem, this loss of divine call, this loss of eternal purpose. Yeah. And that's what's killing us. Yeah, because you said the use of the smartphone and the way in which we engage with it is really just an extension of who we are. Exactly. The screen on our phones is an expose of what our hearts most want. Yes. It is like, um, you know, we're looking at our narcissistic reflection. Hmm in a way that no other culture has looked at their mm-hmm. own reflection because this is this is not just your face reflected this is the the lurid sometimes lurid and uh sinful desires that are in our heart manifested before our eyes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and this is especially true when you think you are browsing anonymously or you're looking at things anonymously this is a conversation obviously that comes up with pornography mm-hmm. what you're looking at in that phone is not some external thing that's just coming your way to try to tempt you. This is something you have actually gone and looked for. And this is what's on your phone has emerged as an expose of your heart. Uh That is incredibly frightening. Yes, yes, it is. It's it's just going to keep coming back and reminding you, this is what your heart wants. This is what your heart wants. And so... Yeah, we can go in that direction. Also, part of my heart is to call for artists to really use smartphones well and wisely. Right, like you and me right now. We couldn't have this conversation if we didn't have technology. Exactly. So I'm trying to balance two different things. On the one hand, like my wife is a uh, full-time homemaker. She's at home. She loves being at home and it's it's great. It's worked out for us. And she looked at social media and her patterns for 10 years and she said, you know what? I don't think I'm doing my calling better by being on social media. And so she she got completely out of social media, off Instagram, that. off Facebook. Yeah. So she's been off for, I asked her, it's been about two and a half years now. Oh, wow. Uh, and so what she says, though, is she doesn't congratulate herself because she yeah. also sees that there's lost opportunities to encourage people that she used to have on Facebook. So there's yeah. there's always a downside. Yeah. And so now she finds new ways to remind herself of birthdays, new ways to remind herself to reach out to old friends that live a long ways away who right. she wants to stay in constant contact with and encourage. Uh, but so on the one hand, you've got I'm trying to help people think through their vocations and whether smartphones are useful or not useful. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm, I'm trying to say if you're an artist and I mean painter, poet, uh, prose artist, right. like what, you can use social media in incredible ways, incredible yes. ways. Um, in fact, I'm going to go and speak to a roundtable of authors here in about an hour. And I'm, I'm going to encourage them with this fact that the, the prophets tell us that one day the knowledge of God is going to fill the earth like a global flood, mm. not a flood like Noah's flood. This is going to be a different flood. The spirit's going to be so thick and the gospel is going to be so thick. It's going to be like a global flood wow. of the knowledge of God uh, and his glory. It's so and awesome. That, as we look forward to that day, that, that um, amazing, uh, incredible yeah. moment when, when Christ will return and we will all, everyone on earth will know everything there is to know about God's glory that's been revealed. It's just going to be a phenomenal thing. But that is the charter. That is the authority. That's the paradigm now for Christian writers. We're seeking to fill the world with the mm. knowledge of God's glory. Yeah. And, and so we can't do this. It's going to, it's, you know, Christ is going to yeah. come back and it's supernatural work, but there's a pattern already set in place that then calls forth preaching, calls forth 
poetry, calls forth spoken word and hip hop and music of all kinds and books of all kinds and podcasts. Yeah, there is room for everyone to get involved in making art to uh, proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ, because one day that knowledge is going to fill the earth. And we're so far from that. But that's the paradigm. So that's kind of the tension that I feel then with yeah. social media is it, it depends on what, what has God called you to do and what are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. Is it is it filled with purpose or is it aimless? Is it selfish or is it God-centered? And uh, so trying to just build in a vision for social media mm-hmm. has been one of the, the great challenges because there's certain people who are just going to throw their phone away, go dumb phone, and they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. other people who are going to have smartphones and keep using it and they should have a dumb phone, quite yeah. frankly, you know? Yes, yes. And so I'm just trying to throw enough categories into someone's life that they can make a wise decision on, uh, on on what God has called them to do and be and how they can succeed at that calling. So if we recognize that we've really been missing the mark when it comes to social media use, smartphone use, technology, etc., what encouragement does the gospel offer and what ought we do as believers if we realize that we are failing in this area? Yeah, well, the first thing is we're all gonna we're all gonna fail digitally. We're all gonna make mistakes. We're gonna say stupid things that we shouldn't have said on Twitter. We're gonna look <laughs> at things online that we shouldn't have looked <sighs> at online. We're gonna be involved in uh, futile discussions. We're right. gonna engage irreconcilable people who have no intention on peacemaking. They're just mm-hmm. out to cause problems. And uh, the Bible tells us very clearly to avoid such people. There's gonna be more and more of them as the end draws near. Uh, so number one is we need to repent of, of the ways we've messed up. Uh-huh. And if we've done that before uh-huh. our kids, we need to tell them and, and let them know that mm. we've, daddy have messed yes. up and shouldn't have done this and we shouldn't have no, ignored you. You're our priority mm. and we have ignored you by checking out online and um, we're sorry. And so, yeah, I've done that several times with my kids mm-hmm. and it's painful, but it's good. As far as then what do you do, there's a lot of ways to – well, I mean, let's just say it's it, it's not very complicated. You need to step away from your phone for at least two weeks every year, potentially one week every month, and potentially at least one day every week. Mm. You need to find times in your life mm-hmm. in which you can just simply step away from the phone. Digitally detox, yeah. delete your social media apps. They're very easy to reinstall. Trust me, you can delete them. Just turn <laughs> They're them right, off. right there just exactly. as you left them after they come back. And uh my publisher wants me to write a digital devotional for, for detoxes, um, a daily digital detox devotional. There it is. Uh, <laughs> the four Ds. <laughs> which, exactly. <laughs> which would be like day one, like this is the most excruciating day and like I'm going to be walking people from, you know, off yeah. of the bridge. kind of You know, like it is just excruciating to go through that first and even that second day. And then by the third day, it starts to become a little easier. By the fourth day, it, it becomes Mm-hmm. Pretty mm-hmm. easy. Almost non- enjoyable. Honest, almost enjoyable. You yeah. start to awaken to things that you haven't seen before, mm. that you've ignored. And uh, I think for me, two weeks has always been uh, about the right time uh, for a, di- a digital detox. I do that once a year. Yeah. How do you work that on. with your job? Because you do everything pretty much exclusively yeah, so I online. Do a lot of, yeah, a lot of email. I, I map this onto family vacations. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times what I'll do in those first three days, those will be family vacations. So it'll mm-hmm. be like, I'll go off Saturday and that Saturday is like the day we leave on a vacation. And then it's the, the whole week of that vacation. And then the next week after I'll come back to email, uh, 
emails inescapable, text messaging is inescapable, but otherwise on social media, I'm off for two full weeks. And, uh, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing, at least for me, the emotional roller coaster that you mm-hmm. go through. And then you end up at the end realizing that I never tell people I'm going offline and I would encourage other people not to, uh, it's, it's very humbling to realize that no one, no one really missed you. notices that you are gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the temptation yeah. is a company say like, oh, here's a blog post on 20 things I learned from being offline for two weeks. Totally. You have to fight that impulse because that's not like that's not why you're doing it. Right. You're doing it to be reminded that you are in the plan of God. You are easily replaceable. And God has a lot Uh of voices uh and he has got a huge plan that is way beyond Uh us getting 200 likes on an Instagram post. And it is good to be reminded that uh, we're small. We're dispensable. Totally. And he loves us and he he died for us and he has shed the blood of his own son to prove that he's going to do everything to make us thrive eternally. But it is humbling to realize that you can step out of your, your social sphere and uh, not be missed at all. Yeah, totally. Well, I just love embracing the reality that we are dispensable because it just helps me take myself less seriously. <laughs> but while I know I should be, you know, handling the things that God has set before me like as faithfully as I can, I do take a rest in the fact that he doesn't need me to accomplish his purpose. So what would it look like, despite not being needed, to walk in obedience to the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations? You know, is there a way in which we can do that? Maybe even um, seek to fulfill the Great Commission at some level by using technology? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the great benefits of living in the digital age. I mean, when you think of historically, you know, let's imagine historically we live in a village and there's a uh-huh. village of 200 uh-huh. people, right? How many people can we talk to at once? Maybe five, yeah. six people, you know, like you could stand on the top of your barn and yell and maybe reach 10 people. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like there's this yes. You know, the, the average Facebook user can reach two to 300 people right. in about an hour. That's crazy. You know, so wedding announcements, birth announcements, those kind of things, just uh-huh. they just pop, right? So we have incredible power to reach a lot of people from the comfort of our own home. Uh-huh. So we can continue to be dads and moms and, yep. and discipling our kids at home and yet have a reach that's way beyond geographically mm-hmm. where we're at, which is a great opportunity. I mean, you look at the you look at the stats now of teenagers using YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, YouTube is now the number one social media for teens. Interesting. Um, so it's YouTube, Instagram, <laughs> Snap, and then Facebook is way down on the list. Yeah. It's fourth and it's dying among teens. And mm-hmm. then Twitter is, I mean, virtually dead among teens. Yeah. And so if you look at that, if you look at that list, then YouTube is where kids are going and it, yeah. it, it offers incredible opportunity for digital discipleship. Uh, so I'm going around now just trying to encourage, anytime I can talk to church leaders, I'm encouraging them to try and find the the late teens and early 20-somethings who can disciple online. I mean, I'm talking about young ladies who can just simply go on on YouTube and talk about modesty, you know, in a way that's just yeah. tasteful and like age appropriate and like talk to 13-year-old girls. Like, wh- what would you say? Yes. And the, the, the opportunities here are massive. And I feel like we, we haven't quite as a church equipped 
our young people to really take up uh, those those responsibilities. But I think there's huge opportunity in YouTube. Video is growing massively. As much as I hate to say it, I think it is taking away from literacy. But I think video is going to be the the dominant social media, especially as uh-huh. already is among teens. But I think that's continuing to grow as uh, filming and editing is becoming more and more easy for for folks to do on their phones. In fact, yeah. Well, if we're trying to do that, like I would say, I'm trying to do that from the comfort of my own closet right now. While my <laughs> two babies are downstairs with their sweet babysitter, but I still feel that tension, Tony. Like sometimes it's hard. I just want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because. I'm like, oh, it's so hard to give that pushback against kind of that um, moment by moment need for approval that just kind of naturally kind of cultivates itself into or makes its way into our heart when we push things out online. It's like, oh, do people like it? Like, did they approve of it? Is it worthy (laughs) of, you know, uh, of a thumbs up? So how can we give pushback to that desire for approval if we are like trying to do this? I mean, obviously, everybody who's listening to this is trying to do this in a God glorifying way. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, you know, smartphones put us in instant contact with friends, family, and strangers. So the, the the good thing is we have that kind of reach. The bad thing is we have that kind of reach and we want instant approval. Refresh, refresh, refresh. How many yeah. people are liking this? Yeah, we we can see, we can be seen, and um, we, we want to immediately know who's watching and approving. And we've been conditioned to post and publish and watch for that immediate, those, those ticks of yeah. human approval. We've been conditioned to do that. We can even um, like hyper-spiritualize it and say, like, it, you know, if it's not having as big of a reach as it did, then is it still what God wants me to do? You know, like yeah. I, I felt that tension. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this craving for human approval absolutely kills faith. Mm-hmm. This craving for human approval kills faith. I'm basing that on what Jesus says in John 12, verses 42 to 43. I think every Christian who owns a smartphone should memorize John 12, 42 to 43. Because what Jesus is saying, he's speaking to the religious rulers. What he's saying is, you want glory from your peers. You yeah. want human glory so much that my glory is completely invisible to you. You can't see how glorious I am because you're seeking human approval. Mm. Yeah, totally guilty. The craving for human approval absolutely kills our faith in mm-hmm, Jesus. Mm-hmm, and I think you mm-hmm. have to come to a convictional place in that uh, and just realize this is if we're going to use social media, we have to die to that human approval. Mm. And that's not something you do once. That's something you do every time you post something. Yeah. Okay. Well, can we have a conversation then about success like in this? Because sometimes I think we're wondering, well, what what would you have me do with this XYZ platform online God? And a lot of times we're looking to the numbers to kind of dictate yeah. that. But like, how can we as believers like submit ourselves to the will of the Lord in regard to this whole thing? And 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 yet also balance like, is what we're doing like effective? This is this is one of the most complex discussions that I have with fellow writers. Every couple, every every couple of years, I send out a questionnaire to some of my favorite authors, and I've been able to get responses from a lot of really popular Christian authors mm-hmm. who is a private survey. So I won't use their names, but mm-hmm. what I'll do is I'll send out an, an essay, a little questionnaire, and I'll ask them, "What's a more valuable use of your time? What's going to have more impact? Writing fifteen significant articles or blog posts, or writing one book?" What is a better investment? If you had to choose one of the one yeah. of the two, and it honestly the 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 responses I get are split. So yeah. some people say the articles are the way to go. You're going to reach the most people. Some say no, the book is the way to go because you're going to get deeper into people's lives right. by calling them to engage for six hours or to however right. long it takes to 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 read a book. And then I had one author friend of mine who who said. 
She said, you know, Tony, to be honest with you, when I pray about this question, I don't know what's going to have a greater effect, whether it's going to be my book, and she's got two bestsellers, or it's going to be my blog, which is a massive success, or if it's going to be the thing I told my daughter on the porch last night in the thunderstorm. Mm. And like that, Mm. that sort of like corrected my whole understanding of what I was asking Mm. in those questionnaires. She was saying like, we we don't know whether it's going to be a New York Times bestselling book that's going to have the longest eternal impact or whether it's going to be a blog that we pour our life and soul into or a podcast or whether it's going to be the thing we tell our kid just in a a moment that's going to change their life and they'll never forget it. And so I think we have to be careful about running the numbers and saying, well, uh, the analytics are stronger here. Therefore, I must be having a greater impact. Right. I think it comes down to this fact, and I think a lot of uh, digital media organizations are t- taking a time out and realizing that Facebook has conditioned us all to take six six social media attempts a day to mm. make something stick and hope that one of them does and step back and think, okay, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Okay, right. so Facebook right. has said essentially six times a day, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to Slate, uh, Slate.com, their editor-in-chief did an interview where she talked about how Facebook has conditioned Slate to essentially take six big shots a day, six big articles they publish a day and see which one sticks. Wow. That, that was kind of how they got conditioned. That so sounds Facebook exhausting. <laughs> they're publishing, yeah. And they realize we need to stop doing this. And so Slate said, how about Monday morning we publish our major feature for the week? And then we just condition our readers to know every Monday they're going to come back on Monday morning. It's going to be a big There's something there, yeah. There's something there. It's what we've decided is the most important. We've decided what to put there. Right. And we're gonna so we're gonna break free from the social media metrics game. And so you're starting to see more and more uh, digital media companies do that, say admitting like social media put us in uh, a certain rhythm that was unhealthy mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Now we're stepping back and we're internally deciding what is the messaging priority. Many ministries now are doing yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Because you you know what's going to get the hits. You know what's going to get the page views. You know what's going to get the clicks and the likes um, is a game. You can gamify all of that in totally. any sphere. And so the question comes back to you, like, what is the message that I'm trying to share? And so for me, um, man, th- I mean, this seems to open up like another two-hour conversation where we could talk about, like, how do you determine internal mm-hmm. messaging? Mm-hmm. But that's really the, the question. Like, what – it goes back to calling. What has God called me to right. do? And to be, what's the message he's given me? Right. And how do I not deviate from that? Even though if I become a generalist, I can get more clicks, I can get more page views, mm-hmm. more likes. Mm-hmm. I, I need to stay in this channel of what he's called me to do. And uh, that, that's hard. That's really, really challenging. Yeah, I think so much of it has to do with humility and seeing ourselves accurately, knowing that we are in desperate need of Jesus and of the spirit that he has put in us, like the, the helper that he has given us to navigate these situations every single day day. And that's harder for me. It's harder for me to look to the spirit for help in regard to my social media use on a daily basis than it would be for me to create like this law that I live by for the rest of my whole entire life when it comes to social media intake. And I just think with the humility piece, a lot of it has to do with welcoming our community in, like you're saying, the people that are in our local church and our families and just lovingly engaging one another with this conversation and humbly inviting them to speak into our lives and to be 
kind of like a mirror and to to reflect like what we're actually doing, you know, to yeah. us. Because sometimes we're unable to see that for ourselves, those blind spots that like escape our vision. So do you have any helpful tips for engaging people in our lives in a conversation about smartphone use in a way that's not intimidating? Because I think everybody feels this tension and, you, you know, then you become that well, you know this more than anybody, Tony. <laughs> then you become that guy or yeah. that girl who's like pushing up against something that's a little uncomfortable for most people. It is. It really, really is. And apart from showing, like going to Jesus's words and, you know, looking at, you know, for example, uh, when it comes to distracted driving, I look at the, mm. the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan, you mm. know, and here's a guy who's busted up on the street and, you know, the Jew just steps over him and walks away. And like, mm. like we, we don't see flesh and blood needs on the street. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, texting and driving is just absolutely, it's not even breaking a law for a Christian. It's breaking Jesus's command not to look past the need of your neighbor on the street. You may mm. be going 50 miles an hour down the street mm. and your neighbor's going 50 miles an hour down the street on the other side of the mm-hmm. street. That's your neighbor. You don't know their name. Mm-hmm. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't know who they are. That's your neighbor on the street. And so distracted driving is an absolutely, it's it's a sin. It's not just illegal. It's a sin against what Jesus commands us to do. So I think looking at the very mm. specific words of Jesus and applying them to texting and driving, I mean, I guess something inside of me wants, wants to say at this point that what I'm trying to do is to get a larger conversation going in our churches, not just about yeah. the consequences, but about the very technologies and how we use them ourselves. And so what I'm hoping my book and all of my works, my articles do is help churches and pastors and care group leaders take the conversation from here because things are going to continue to change. Technologies will continue to change. Social media is going to change. Right. I mean, speaking of YouTube as social media is our it's, it's already weird to me. I've never thought of that. And but yeah. but that's how teens today are making us think of 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 YouTube. It is social media. So the conversation is not going to end. It's going to become more complex. I mean, we're we're talking now about like robotics and all sorts of weird uses of robotics. We're talking about artificial intelligence, transgender technologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of technologies mm-hmm. that are going to continue to come at us. So uh, what I'm hoping is the church can be comfortable asking questions about the smartphone because the the, the technological questions that are yeah. coming at us are more right. complex, even more weird, and are going to require even more fast action on right. the part of our leaders. And so I guess, yeah, being the guy with, quote unquote, all the answers to the smartphone, I don't have all the answers to the smartphone, but I'm pointing to Jesus. I'm pointing to the word and saying, I think that the word is infallible. I think the word of God was written in a way to be relevant to every culture. And I think the word of God is relevant to the uh-huh, digital age, uh-huh. the age, the tech age. And here's here's the connections that I see. And we just need more and more people just, just reading their Bibles, thinking through like, okay, yeah. what does this proverb have to do with how you engage in social media? Because right. the proverbs are full, like, don't use your tongue for this. Don't use your mouth for that. Mm. Use your mouth for this. Mm-hmm. All of that is it, it's just social media. Um, it's just dripping with social media relevance. And so we just need eyes to see it because um, I believe wholeheartedly the Bible is relevant. And after writing a book about our smartphone abuse, I can see that the Bible is as relevant to this age as it's been relevant to hmm. any other age. There's the same perennial problems. Yeah. It just comes in yeah. eyes. Well, I really appreciate you helping us make those connections. It's just such a gift. And it almost models to me, Tony, like how I might be able to think through those things, like not just uh, on the level of 
technology, which is so important, as you're mentioning, because it's ever changing. And that's a conversation that needs to continue, regardless of, you know, the technological advances or as the technology continues to advance. But to do that just in things as basic as parenting. And so you just recently wrote an article on helping us navigate social media and technology use as parents. Do you have anything that you could offer to us, just some practical tips on what we might want to think through as moms or as dads, like in regard to uh, shepherding our children and how to use smartphone technology? Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I, You know, there's a lot of articles out there just saying that we need to pay more attention to our kids and their digital habits. And But I wanted to really dive into the practices. Like, okay, mm-hmm. what do we do as parents? Mm-hmm. And so that's, I wrote an article called 12 Tips for Parenting in the Digital Age, which was published at uh, Desiring God on May 21st of this year. Mm-hmm. I, I've been wanting to write about how to raise teens in the digital age, not because I've figured it out, but because I think I've learned from my mistakes over the, the years and because it's, it's the natural follow-up to my book. And so I've been asked for two, three years now to talk about this. And I finally had an opportunity to to put my thoughts together. And it's in that article. Essentially, what I'm trying to do is map for parents a vision of digital media in which you have complete control over the Wi-Fi in your home. Hmm. And I encourage people to look at the the circle device or some sort of a some sort of a device that allows you to limit web activity hmm. to every device and computer in the home. Wow! Yeah. And so once you have that cl- clamped down, and it's pretty easy to do now with the tools, you can filter things. Uh, and I'm not talking about parental controls on each device. I'm talking about a centralized device that right. governs the whole house, which makes it far easier. Yeah. The circle device is something we've used for a while. There's other options. Many options are are uh, on the market now. But once you clamp down and, and can, can, can control Wi-Fi in your home, mm-hmm. then you start introducing tablets, you start introducing the computer, you start introducing YouTube maybe, social media, and you, you stair-step the introduction to digital media. And I've got the process that we've used is laid out in that article. Okay. And then you're leading up to a point and you've got to pray about this. Like, okay, your kid is going to get a smartphone at some point. Maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When is that going to be? Is it going to be 18? Is it going to be 16? Is it mm. going to be 14? The average age in America of smartphone owning kids is 10.3. Oh 10.3 years old. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those are hand-me-downs. So parents just kind of give their iPhone, yeah. their old iPhone to their kid. They don't think about it. Um, I'm saying that's a that's a major mistake. You've got to stair-step them in their Wi-Fi use in the home, and then you get to a graduation point, which is the smartphone. Hmm. That is a major transition point when you have virtually no more parental controls. And I can ex- explain this through um, Snapchat and through texting and sexting and that whole phenomenon. Uh, in the article, I go into the fact that... Uh, uh, quote unquote, sending nudes between teens and tweens is now a normative part of the teen years. Mm. Frightening stuff. Mm. Uh, for girls who aren't asking, they're just, they, they just get these text messages from boys. Mm. Uh, and uh, pff, I go into the, the scary details into that in that article. But essentially what I'm saying is once you move into the smartphone, you now no longer have parental control over what your your child sees on their phone. And that's a step of that's a graduation by which you have to get your your kids prepared for that. And you can do that in the home by clamping down on the Wi-Fi at home. And so there's a process that I've uh, laid out that my wife and I use that's that's in that article. So that's essentially the the gist of it. And there's other tips just like phone free car rides, phone free dinners, phone free family vacations, a lot of the no brainer stuff, phone contracts. 
uh, are a big, big one, you know, what's expected of the child once they do have a smartphone. But essentially that's it. Like thinking through the gradual process of introducing uh, digital media to your kids, not just handing them a smartphone at age 10.3, right. but actually like leading them to a place where they're old enough and mature enough and they know the kinds of temptations that are out there that they get their phone. Not because they're going to be perfect on their phone, but because they realize what uh, expected behavior uh, is in place that that is set for them. So um, that that's the gist of essentially what I'm uh, what I'm getting at in that that article. And I go through all the data to show uh, what iGen, which is the mm-hmm. sort of post-1995 generation. So the internet was commercialized in 1995, and uh, everyone born after that that point mm. is considered mm. iGen or Gen Z or uh, post-millennial. Uh, I go into the data on that demographic and to show that it's, it's a very unique, our, the teens today are very unique. Uh, they're, they're not like millennials in a lot of respects. Uh, they tend to be safer or they tend to be less likely to drive around without, uh, you know, seatbelts on. They less likely to smoke, engage in sexual activity. They're, they're, they're safer, hmm. but they're also online more. Yeah. And so I kind of give a, like a sketch of what the data is showing about our, our teenagers and some of the challenges that they face and then map out sort of a, a vision that parents can use to prepare their kids for the smartphone. Wow. I have a lot of work to do, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Brooks and I are going to listen to this again and yes. just sit down as a family. And I'm encouraged to just uh, prayerfully consider this, to think through this more intentionally. What other resources would you recommend for somebody who desires to steward their phone and screen time better? Do you have any other things that you'd like to add? You know, I, th- I thought about that question. I honestly don't know. I mean, when I think of like the things that help me get off my phone, it's just great books. You know, yeah. it is like great hikes. It is yeah. like the things that take me away from my phone, the things that are more enjoyable to me than my phone. Like those are the, the I mean, those are the things that come to mind, but that's not really tools or tricks. I mean, there's some, there's some little things you can do. Like you can go into your settings on your phone and you can mm-hmm. change the screen to black and white. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Yeah, I've heard of that, but I haven't so, ever done it. I, I did it for a couple of weeks. It really helps because so much of our uh, the stimuli to our phones is in the colors. Ooh. And if you actually mute the colors, it makes Instagram a little weird, but it severs the impulsive desire to click. I mean, it's really interesting. I you need should, to do that for my daughter try because it, I can see the addiction even at, <laughs> like in a one-year-old level because we oh, just yeah. listen to Spotify. Like we will listen to Spotify on walks and things like that. And I've noticed, Tony, that she wants to be holding the phone. Just It oh, doesn't man. even like interact with her necessarily, yeah. but she cl- will click the button so she can see the picture, you know, of who's singing or whatever. And I wonder if some of that is the addiction to the colors and like just the illuminating Absolutely. glow of the screen. It's amazing how much addictive power you take out of the phone when it's black and white. Okay, good. I'm going to do that right now. (laughs) Well, it sounds like I could already potentially answer some of your simple joys because you've given us a few hints into what you're interested in. But I'd love to ask this question of every guest who comes on the show, Tony, because it just helps us to get to know you on a personal level a little bit better. What are three of your simple joys in life that help distract you from technology and smartphone use? (laughs) I love uh, date nights with my wife. Aww. Those are definitely phone-free zones. And uh, I love grilling with charcoal. Nice. And I love the sound of baseball uh, on leather and lumber. Oh, wait, the sound of baseball on leather and lumber. Okay, you're going to have to help yeah. me out there. What does that even mean? Yeah. So the sound of a baseball when it hits a catcher's mitt or hits a, uh, the smack, the deep thud yes. smack, and then on lumber, like the crack of, yeah. a, of a, a wooden yes. baseball bat. On a baseball. What's your team? Those Do you guys so have a team sweet. in Minnesota? I, you know, so 
I grew up in Nebraska, so there was okay. no like I could choose. I, f- I feel like I could freely choose my baseball yeah, team yeah, living in Nebraska. So I went with the Boston Red Sox. Nice. And I've been following the Red Sox since 1984, and uh, so they're now the best team in baseball. Uh, but I've been a fan for a long time, and uh, they're doing really well. And so, and watching baseball is just a, a great, a great joy. I'm the, pretty much the only person in the house who likes watching baseball. I have really fond memories of watching baseball with my dad. He's a Cardinals fan. So, oh, yeah. 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 It's fun. Um, well, Tony, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Another question that I love to ask every guest because I just recognize that all of us have had really influential brothers and sisters in Christ mm. who have gone before us and who have really discipled us in the way of following Jesus. I'd love to hear who it is that's had the greatest impact on your own personal journey with Jesus. Oh, my it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it is really hard. Um, I think I would have to say, number one, the Puritans. Um, I've, I've spent just years mm. reading Puritan literature. Um, John Flavel, Thomas Boston, uh, Richard Sibbs, Jonathan Edwards, I would put in, in that category. Um, yeah, the Puritans are big. John Piper is big for me because not only have I read his books, I've listened to his sermons over the years, but I've actually had a, you know, now seven years to to get to know him, to have meals at his house, to ask him questions and so to be cool. yeah. discipled by him and to ask him like 1,400 questions in a podcast that we do. Uh, so I've just, no one, no one has per hour spent more time in my life speaking mm, uh, gospel mm. truth than John Piper. Cool. So, I mean, he, he's definitely on uh, up there. Um, otherwise it's just, it's a stream of great authors that I love to read and just too yeah. numerous to even mention, but totally. the, the Tim Kellers, the Don Carson's and the yeah. Herman Bobbink, who's a Dutch theologian. And I, you just, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know where to, to, to stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I can totally tell that you're a reader by your writing. It's uh, mm-hmm. really well done. And I also want to say that we've had another member of your church on the podcast, Abigail Dodds, Ooh. who I believe is oh, going yes. through your seminary, like the seminary that you guys have yep. there Absolutely. Um, this upcoming fall. So I just appreciate the, the work that you guys are doing up there. And I'm really grateful for you taking the time to come on the Journey Women podcast and chat with us about this really important topic, Tony. Thanks for your time. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you, Hunter. This was probably one of the most convicting episodes of the Journey Women podcast for me on a personal level. I've completely changed my smartphone use since having this conversation with Tony about a month ago. I bought an old school alarm clock, asked for accountability, and started leaving my phone upstairs when I'm having my quiet time in the mornings. Guys, it's made a huge difference. If you want to consider these things more deeply for yourself on an individual level, I highly recommend Tony's book, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, which you can find in the show notes along with all the noteworthy quotes and resources that we mentioned on this episode. It's all at journeywomenpodcast.com. If you want to connect with us throughout the week, you can find us at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Hey, if you're enjoying these conversations, I would love it if you take three minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes. This just helps us connect with other women on their journeys to glorify God. It's such a joy to get to journey with you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Okay.